Good morning, friends. My name is Phil Reinder, senior minister here at Knox Church. Before we reflect on these good words from God, let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for the life-giving word that you speak to us. And we pray today that your Holy Spirit would make this word come alive for us. Wherever we are today, God, we pray that your spirit would work and impress these words deep in our hearts, making that word, the living word, Jesus, come home to us. In his name we pray. Amen. Comfort. Comfort is a good thing that helps take care of a bad situation. It doesn't remove the bad situation at all, but the strength of comfort helps us to get through whatever the bad thing it is that we face. What do you think of when you hear that word comfort? I bet if we were able to sit down and talk about it, a lot of us would settle in on something close to comfortable. We would imagine, we're probably thinking of things like creature comforts. Having a lazy boy to recline in at the end of a really hard day. Comfort is eating all your comfort foods. You can probably think of a whole lot of what those comfort foods are for you. It's binge-watching that Netflix series you've waited for a long time to see. Comfort. During COVID, we've been big into comfort, haven't we? I think uh, if you're like me, we've had this COVID comfort layer grow over us over these months during the pandemic. Comfort also can be thought of as sort of an escape as well. It can feel like a tranquilizer, like a narcotic that somehow numbs us to the pain of the bad things we face. In, in all of these, comfort, I think, for many of us, has this soft concept or idea to it, when in fact, comfort is really a working word. It's got a sturdiness and a strength to it. And you can see that in the origins of the word comfort itself. It comes from two Latin words. The Latin word cum, C-U-M, which is with, and then fort. You can imagine a fort. A fort is a sturdy strength in place. It means strength. So comfort means with strength. Comfort is the strength to keep going despite the difficult thing that you face. Comfort invites us out of all of our coping devices, out of all of our easy consolations, into something deeper, into something stronger. Comfort is redemptive. It's something that restores us to our full humanity. It puts us on our feet. It strengthens us, puts a little strength in our spine, and we can stand up fully in the image of God. Comfort brings hope, and its fruit is joy. And how we need comfort in the midst of this pandemic, don't we? Everybody I talk to, we're just bone tired. We're exhausted. It's been a long, draining year, and and we still have winter to go through. But this past week, our world, weary from this pandemic, got a dose of comfort, which was literally a shot in the arm. On Tuesday, this past Tuesday, December 8th, A 90-year-old United Kingdom woman, Maggie Keenan, became the first world's recipient of a COVID-19 vaccine. She got it in Coventry, England, and yet across the world, I think there was a little rejoicing. 
finally, this vaccine is here. And tomorrow, that vaccine arrives right here in Toronto. It is here, friends. We've been waiting for it. We've been praying for it. We've been hoping for it. And it's here. Now, sure, it's going to take time, you know, probably the better half of the next year, of the new year coming for its full distribution. But nonetheless, it's here. And I hope that puts a little joy in your step, a little merry in your COVID Christmas. But here's my fear. It's not big enough hope for us. It's good. Make no mistake about that, okay? This is brilliantly good. And whenever that vaccine comes available to you, go get it. But it's not big enough medicine for all that ails us. It is not a vaccine against homelessness. It doesn't provide immunity to sexism and domestic violence. It's not going to inoculate us against racial injustice. It's not going to solve climate change. It's not an antidote to ignorance and oppression and selfishness. If only, if only you could stick a needle in a tank or a bomb or a gun and wars would cease. It doesn't do that. And the season of Advent calls us to, to turn away from, to renounce all the easy comforts, all the consolations that over time will wilt, that don't produce the lasting joy that God promises. Advent calls us instead to embrace the one who comes, Jesus, the one who gathers us into his arms, who carries us close to his heart and promises a new world, a new life. These words from the prophet Isaiah are some of the most heart-piercingly beautiful words. And Isaiah didn't need Handel to make these words so powerful. Handel, of course, wrote some of the most great music, the world's great music, that surrounds these words and made them so famous. But these words were powerful long before Handel. They were powerful, not only because they, they speak to the people of Israel who were suffering. I mean, those words were good news to people who were weary and had suffered much. But I think what's all the more powerful about these words, what makes this passage sing, comes in verse 2. The source of Israel's suffering was their own doing. It was their own doing. Comfort comes to people who didn't deserve a reward. It doesn't come to people who have earned it by their good behavior. No, instead it comes to people who have felt pain because of their own sin, because of their own doing. And to the people of Israel who had lost all hope, to these fragile and wounded hearts who found it hard to sort of piece together a speck of faith, Isaiah shows here something profoundly great, something the world has never seen. It proclaims the world's deepest, greatest comfort, the truth that God has come among us, even in the midst of our hardship and suffering and difficulty. Isaiah uses three voices. Did you notice that? Three voices speak, but they speak one message. In verse 3, in verse 6, and then in verse 9. The one message is, take heart. Speak tenderly. Take heart. Your God is coming. First voice comes in verse 3. In the desert, make ready a way for the Lord. 
Make straight in the wilderness a highway. Every valley shall be raised up. You need a bass or a baritone to really belt that wound. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. Now, any listener or reader in the ancient world who would have heard that would have known exactly what it is all about. Because when a king or an emperor at that time, when they would go to another part of their kingdom that they had never been to or that they hadn't been to recently, they wouldn't follow the regular roadways and pathways that were pretty bad. Um, They would build a highway to wherever they were going. So they would build boulevards. They would construct highways. We have an inscription, for example, from ancient Babylon. And the announcement that that there's a king going to another part of the kingdom. And the announcement goes like this. Make his way good. Renew his road. Make straight his path. Hew him out a track. So in other words, a new highway is getting built because the king is coming to you. The highway was a sign then. It was a sign. The king is coming to us. It's not us going to the king. The king is coming our way. And so Isaiah is drawing on one of the deepest hopes of the ancient world, of the human race. Isaiah is saying the world is like this uninhabitable wilderness, this bleak desert place where there's disease and death and war and strife. There's brokenness of of every form. The world is like this. Why? Because it's under incompetent managers, us, humans, we have incompetent leaders. But when the ultimate, the, the king of all things comes, when his highway gets built and you know he's coming, there's healing for the world on the way. There's a highway, Isaiah is saying. He is coming. And then a second voice, a second message, verse 6. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of God stands forever. Again, Isaiah is just tapping into what we all know. He recognizes the frailty, the fragility, how, how quickly things in life fades. Everything around us is so fleeting. Nothing lasts in this life. Your fresh Christmas tree is a perfect symbol of that because in a few weeks, all the needles are going to be falling off it. They're going to be littering your floor of your apartment or home. It's withering. It's done. It's wilting. It's a picture of our our need for God, for the one, the only one who can lead us out of the wilderness, the only one who can do what we need to bring us life. And then Isaiah says, it's God's word. Everything else is fragile. Everything else is fleeting, but it's God's word. His promises, they stand forever. They are the lasting hope. They're the enduring comfort. And then a third voice in verse 9, it speaks of, of a warrior, of someone who's got some power and some might. The comfort that, that brings hope to our lives is, Isaiah is saying, there is someone who has the power to change this world. He's coming. Verse, verse 10 says, he comes with power and his arm rules for him. Now his arm is very important. It was, a, it was a Hebrew metaphor for power, for the strength to be able to do what you will. But what is that arm doing? Now here's where all of a sudden the image shifts. That strong arm... We read, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers up the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the king 
every one of us knows is here in this world. This, this shepherd warrior. The one who has the strength to do what needs doing, but who has the gentleness, the kindness deep in his heart to care for the least and the last. This is the reason why whenever we see someone weak who's being trampled on, someone vulnerable being dealt with unjustly, we know even though in our dog-eat-dog world that it says that's just the way things are, we know, no, that's wrong. That's not the way things are supposed to be because we know there's a king a mighty king who cares for the weak. We know there's a king who exercises his power by providing justice for the least and the last, for the little. And so we need never fear this warrior shepherd. Isaiah says he's a kind but powerful shepherd. And we need never fear this warrior shepherd because of what it tells us in verse 10. Verse 10 says, see, his reward is with him. Now you think of that, you think, well, what reward is that? What does it mean? He's coming with his reward. We often think, well, it means if I bow my knee to him, I'll get my reward from him. But he's not talking about my reward. He's not talking about our reward. It says he comes with his reward. So what could be God's reward? What do you get for the God who has everything? If you look a little bit later in the chapter, you see God has everything, right? He owns the nations. He owns the mountains. The stars are his. We're like dust before him. So what in the world could make God feel rich, wealthy? Isaiah tells us he comes with his reward. And what is it? It's us. That's the shocking thing. Right away, it's his flock. He tends his flock. It's the weak ones. He gathers his lambs in his arms. And you wonder, how can this be? How can this mighty creator, ruler of all things, be so tender, be a shepherd? How could the king, who is absolutely just, who must put down all injustice and evil, how can he look at us with all of our flaws and our weaknesses? How can this this just king be a shepherd and love us and actually call us his treasure, his reward? How can he say, you're my wealth, the stars don't compare to you? This is the stunning promise of Isaiah. This is the stunning comfort of Christmas. Because in Jesus, we see this fully coming together. The full justice of God, the full tenderness and compassion and mercy of God meet together in Jesus. In his life, in his crucifixion. Jesus, you know, he could have called to his father at any time to get out of whatever situation. When he's being tried, when he's being strung up on a cross, Jesus could have snapped his fingers and all the angels of heaven could have come to his assistance. But Jesus had the strength to stoop, to be weak. He had the majesty to lower himself to serve. This is the remarkable thing. In in Christmas, in Jesus, the creator of all things, the ruler of history, has come down who has stooped low to lift up this world. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says he must stoop in order to lift. He almost disappears under the load before he incredibly strains his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. This is the coming king, Jesus. He is the message of comfort and joy that Isaiah is speaking of, that he is pointing to. 
And it's that same voice that a six-month-old baby growing in the womb of Elizabeth hears and does a little dance because of that voice. In Isaiah, we hear three voices. And in that Luke passage, one voice speaks, and it's an echo of those voices from Isaiah. Mary, who has just received the announcement from the angel Gabriel. Mary, whom the Holy Spirit has overshadowed, who has conceived in her a son, and who now is having morning sickness because of it. Mary, in whose body God and humanity have come together in a human cell. Mary's voice now announces the hope of the ages that Isaiah has prophesied about. Mary shouts out this hello to her cousin Elizabeth. And that six-month-old baby growing in Elizabeth's belly has a little party and does a little dance because of that voice. Think of that for a minute. A six-month-old baby growing in a mother's belly. That six-month-old child is anywhere uh, 7 to 12 inches, I'm told, weighs between 1 and 2 pounds, easily fits in the palm of your hand. That baby has begun to form lungs, eyelids begin to open up, has a unique set of fingerprints in its hand, and they begin at this point in time to focus in on sounds outside the uterus, outside the womb. Think of John. It's John the Baptist in his mother's belly in the muffled darkness of his mother's womb. He's warmly snug in there. He's busy going about the work of duplicating cells and growing organs. He's beginning to kick and hiccup. The ambient noise of that baby is Elizabeth's digestive system and and the pulse of her blood, her heartbeat. That's the rhythm of all he hears. But, But from beyond that world, he hears a voice. Into his world comes this voice, this promise of Isaiah's comfort has come in the messenger of Mary. And that baby dances a jig of joy. Because the reality of that voice is the promise of God that has finally come and that will change the world forever. It's the surprising joy of that life comes in the most unlikely places and people. To an unborn child in a backwater town, who would have expected? It's the same promise that comes to us, to you. You who can't believe you are God's treasure, his reward. To you who are pretty sure that your lack of spirituality, lack of devotion, has pretty much disqualified you from being included in God's family, his plan, his purposes. It's the joy that nobody's, even a six-month-old floating fetus in a mother's belly, find their place in God's divine plans and purposes. It's the utter hope and joy that there is nothing in this world that can separate you and I from the love of God. And so in the womb of Mary, God has come. In the voice of Mary... Good news in her greeting gets preached. On the surface of it, you know, this story of Mary and Elizabeth meeting, it just looks like two women with heightened hormonal levels getting weepy and sentimental together, but it's not. It is Holy Spirit joy going on here. God has come. What the Lord has promised has been accomplished. It is happening. It is underway. Other than Mary... That baby, John, growing in the belly of Elizabeth, 
is the first human response to the message of God's good comfort. And joy is the first response. Joy. The baby leaps for joy. It's what a baby can only know. Joy is an action. It's a movement of the heart that gets released in our lives. The baby leaps for joy. When we experience joy, we're just moved to act, right? Joy gets translated, gets transposed into an embodied action. We throw up our hands. We whoop and holler. We yell. We dance. We sing because of joy, which is why I think Christmas is filled with so many great songs and specific carols because of the hope of the world has come. Christmas is rightly filled with, with singing. What's your favorite Christmas song? Someone asked me that this week and I was able to respond because I had heard a professor, Natasha Moore, talk about this. She, she saw a meme last year that said, um, if Oh Holy Night is not your favorite Christmas carol, you're lying. And I thought, bang on, that's exactly right. Oh, holy night is the best Christmas carol ever. If it's not your favorite, I'm sorry, you're lying to yourself. Listen to the words here, okay? Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. We found our worth in Jesus. And then this thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices He knows our need. To our weakness, he is no stranger. Behold your king. Oh, holy night, it is just filled with with the joy that God's good news moves in us. And, And that joy doesn't stop with just singing. It continues to move us into a certain type of life. I think, oh, holy night has one of the most magnificent verses in it. Listen to this. Truly, he taught us to love one another. So again, this is an action. We're moved to action. His law is love and his gospel is peace. These are the people we're called to be. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let us all within us praise his holy name. In his name, all oppression shall cease. All of it. In his name. The good news of God's kingdom moves out of that Bethlehem place, out into a broken world. Canadian musician Bruce Coburn caught it this way. He says, like a stone in the surface of a still river, driving ripples on forever, redemption rips through the surface of time in the cry of a tiny babe. The comfort of God's good news gives us, the strength it gives us, is is the strength to freshly face all the wrongs, all the oppressions that still remain in the world, and now to let our joy move us into action. Trusting in the promise, trusting in in the reality that God is with us, has come, is with us, that in Jesus the ripples of redemption go on and out. It moves us in joy which gets translated into action, into things that we thought we might not have been able to do now, but because of this comfort that has strengthened us, because of the presence of God with us, we know we can do. And so we confront our addictions, both individually and as a culture. We stick with difficult relationships. We love our enemies. 
We reduce our spending so that we free up more money to sacrificially give to others. We challenge our cultural and social values that are out of sync with this kingdom of peace that God has. We stand up for justice. We speak for peace. I mean, these are all movements, actions of comfort and joy that get expressed. I think they're equivalents of a six-month-old child in the belly of a womb leaping for joy. So whenever you act like that, it is a leap of joy because of God's good news. Because God has made good on his promise. Because a highway has been made. God has come to us, is coming to us. Because a voice from our, beyond our world has spoken hope and life to us. In 2020, we are all weary. The world is weary with pandemic exhaustion. And so many people are setting their hopes on Christmas, right? Some experience of cheer and goodness in this long winter. I'm setting my hopes on Christmas too, but not on the gifts or the lights, but on that voice of promise that speaks, that message, that thrill of hope that God is coming with us and what it means. It means that we have reason to rejoice no matter how weary we are. Amen. There's going to be a reflection question put up on our screens right now. And we're going to take time to simply allow the Holy Spirit to work with our spirits, to speak to us. So take time to quietly reflect. Here's the reflection questions. Think about whose strength is involved in the with strength of the word comfort. Is it your strength? God's strength? Both? And also, how might the joy of God's comfort move you to act this week?